John, thank you for the intro, and I don't recommend being part of this tradition. <laughs> At least he gave me like a two months heads up, so like I got a lot of the planning done, like before the wedding week and honeymoon and all of that. Until he decided, John came up to me like the week before my wedding, like right over here, and goes, "Have you started planning?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course." He's like. Well, you might need to switch your topic. And I'm like, no thanks, I'm good. And he's like, well, we've got all the speakers lined up and somebody might be changing theirs. I'm like, yeah, it's not me. <laughs> so luckily I like stayed with what I had planned. I wasn't letting him change my mind there. And as he said, yes, I do have multiple seminary degrees. I don't like bragging about that. Because for some sick reason, I enjoyed school. Uh, which is funny. If you knew me in high school, I, I hated school. Like, did not really want to go to college. And then, for some reason, I fell in love with uh, especially ministry. So I did uh, undergrad in ministry and did a couple seminary degrees. And just really fell in love with it. And... Uh, Part of the other seminary degree, so I started with the whole mindset of this, of preaching and uh, church ministry, but then I fell in love with helping people who are hurting. Um, so my day job now, I work at West Michigan Wellness Group, which is mental health therapy, because uh, a lot of people who are hurting won't come in here but they'll come into a counseling office. Um, so I do have that influence there. And for kicks and giggles, I decided to study in Israel for a year. Um, that was partly a gap year, and why not study in one of the coolest places on earth? Um, so that, that's a little me. I always like to set the stage because some people are like, who's this guy in a suit up there? Because um, nobody wears suits around here except me. And Mr. Seitzma always wears a sport coat, so i got to keep in line with him. Um, but I also did hear quite a while ago somebody say, was that a concert? One of the lead singers was wearing a suit. And they joked that they were there to do business with God. I'm like, huh, kind of like, kind of lame, yes, like just the whole saying, and uh, kind of old school, yes, but that's what we're here to do, right? We're here to do business with God. We're here to hear from his word. Uh, so that really stood out to me. So that's, that's partly why I do it. Also, they look cool, and Craig's not here to give me a hard time today about that, so I will say that. Uh, so today we're going to be getting into James for another fun thing that John stuck on me. He pretty much gave me two sermons in one, so I'm like, great, thanks. Now I have to cram for two in, in a week, because um, there's, there's a lot here. Um, I feel like the past couple times I've preached, I've got shafted that way. Um, I decided to preach the book of Acts when we were going through, and I'm like, I could spend like a couple months on this preaching, and I have to do it in 35 minutes. I'm like, thanks. Um, and this one, 
two subjects in one. Like, great, thanks, John. Uh, and he told me to, oh, you could just skip the second one. I'm like, no, it's, it's good stuff. We need to hear it. Uh, so James 4.13 through 5.6 uh, is kind of our subject. So you'll see, you'll see the divisions in your Bible, two, two different yet connected topics today. Um, have you ever planned for something off in the future, distant or near? What was your mindset? Was it centered around God and God's plans or your own? Did you even consult the Lord beforehand? As I said, I, I work in mental health with my expertise is kids and youth. Um, so like 5 to 22 is kind of my area. Um, so I do a lot of teen work. And I always find it funny. I, I have this one kid in particular that teens tend to set plans. All of this stuff. And just this last week, it, I already had this like in my sermon from a few weeks ago. And yet this week, one of my kids kind of reiterated. I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, he's, he's a teen. He's got this idea of he's going to do a birthday week this summer. He's going to Michigan Adventure, Cedar Point, rent a hotel, have friends over at his house, go to the pool, all of this stuff. He's got this massive plan. And yet he's never consulted his parents. He, the, the funny thing he told me this week was, it's not that expensive. And I'm like, hold on. You want to go to Cedar Point and Michigan Adventures in the same like couple day span? Like, yes, it is expensive. Ah, it's not that expensive. So he has it all up in his mind that like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to work. It's going to be a blast. And I didn't want to break it to him of like, it's not going to happen. I'll leave that for his parents. Um, but as parents, as adults, we're like, yeah, that's definitely not going to happen. Uh, but I also think of kind of the American mentality when it comes to even like our retirements. We hear all the time of people going like, oh, as soon as I hit this day, this time, I worked with a guy who had the date circled on his calendar for like five or six years, if he knew the specific date he was going to retire. Uh, we hear people of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to have my retirement home in Arizona or Florida. Like, that's my plan. And we start planning early from the day we start working. We're saving. We're, we've got this mindset. Um, we know kind of what we want to do. But often it's what I want to do, what we want to do, not, not God's plan. I thought a lot about this as, as I was prepping of not just retirement, but when I was in high school, my plans were, I loved baseball, I played it all the time, I played pretty much year-round. In Michigan, yes, year-round, that sounds crazy, but we were playing indoors in like warehouses and 
We got creative. Uh, I loved it. That was going to be, that was my career. I was going to play professional baseball. Uh, my world got rocked my junior year. Started sophomore year, there was writing on the wall of like, okay, there, there's a kid a little bit better than me in my position. But we always battled back and forth. It was kind of one of those like, one would have a good game, the other one would have a good game. Like, we, we battled. And then my junior year, he got the job, I got cut. Um, rocked my world. I, I remember that night vividly. Um, only two kind of weird, weird circumstances, he quit the team a week later. The kid who was going to have the, the starting job going forward quit. Um, and then I got a phone call of, hey, would you want to come back out on the team? Well, duh, of course. Uh, only to ride the bench all season. I played four innings total that whole season. Uh, and then senior year, played a little bit more, but not my, not my position. Uh, and so I still had this mindset of, oh, I'm going to play in college, only to go to a college that didn't have baseball. <laughs> so uh, another change of plans. It was, it was God saying, no, that's, that's not what I've got for you. He, he did end up guiding me along the way of, while in seminary, I started coaching. And now I'm still coaching and getting to coach at Cornerstone, which is awesome. But definitely different from what I had planned. Right now, I, I should be playing in the World Series or getting close to the World Series. Like, I mean, that's what I should be doing, but no. Um, and that's what we're seeing a lot today in James's talk. The first section is a lot of boastful planning. This idea of like, I know what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it now. And this is how it's all going to work out without consulting God. And then we'll also get challenged as well of kind of our pride when it comes to money. Uh, that, that's a lot of what James is getting at here, is this idea of pride. Um, he tackles a lot of that in, in the sections leading up to today and today. Uh, so again, we're going to be in James 4.13, which stand with me in honor of God's word as we read. James 4.13 Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl 
for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father God, teach us today from your word. Teach us to be hearers and doers. Teach us to live humble lives around you. Help us to hear today what we need to hear. Help us to change our lives, center around you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So if you're just joining, I feel like, obviously, John asked James to preach in James today, um, fittingly. Uh, but if you're just joining kind of the James series here, um, I've really started to fall in love with this book even more, of how practical it is. Um, James is kind of one of those general letters. Um, right in James 1, it's, it's talking about to the dispersed church throughout the world at that point. Um, early scattered first century church. It's, it's practical. It's, it's a how-to book of live this way, don't live this way. Um, like we're seeing today, the examples of like, this is why you don't live this way. Uh, it, it reminds me, James is acting kind of like that, that father figure of, kids, this is what you need to do. It's the young Christians of, this is how you should live. Here's warnings. Don't do this. Uh, so James is really trying to hammer in these points. Uh, we see right before this, at the beginning of chapter 4, uh, the title in my book is Warning Against Worldliness. James is saying to the early church, watch out. These are the temptations out there. And that's what he goes into today, is kind of more in-depth examples of the worldliness, of watch out. Um, so I want you to kind of pay attention in these next couple sections of three kind of key questions. First is kind of who is James referring to here? Who is he talking to? Who is he talking about? What, what's going on? Like those ones, that, that question's a little bit easier to figure out. And then also the how-to. How do you respond to it? How did they respond? What is he calling for re in response? Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting the way James started both of these. Both sections start the same way as my ESV says, come now. NIV, now listen. NLT, look here. 
I, I had some, some panic attacks almost with this of looking into the Greek. And if you know me and Greek, we did not get along. I, I spent five semesters in Greek and a lot of late night, a lot of misery. At one point, I developed like a twitch in my eye when I was going through Greek. Like it was, it was not fun. So I'm like looking this up in the Greek and I'm like, I, I, I had the twitch again. So in Greek, it's an imperative verb. It's the come. It's the do this, listen. And it's followed with the come now, the urgency that James is talking about. He's wanting to wake these people up, calling them out. He's calling out sins of the wealthy, sins of the pride. And these are warning signs of where people have started to stray, of where they've gone wrong. And in the first section here, he, he's talking to the boastful planner. And I, I want to have a little disclaimer here. I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with planning. James James isn't saying there's anything wrong with it. He even gives a caveat that we'll, that we'll look at of if the Lord wills. We need to be saying that. So I want to make sure that I'm not up here just saying don't plan for anything. Like, that's kind of dumb to begin with. Granted, I was kind of that way anyways. I was shocked that I started planning for this message like two months ago. If you know anything about me, I'm a little procrastinator. But... James is giving, giving the rebuke here to these prideful people, this arrogancy of making plans without God. We see that right in verse 13. They, they're saying, today and tomorrow we'll go here, we'll do this, we'll do that. He's talking about this first century people that would just travel here and there. Who cares? I'll do this. I'll be here today. I'll be there tomorrow. If you know anything about first century travel, it didn't really work that way. You can't jump on an airplane in the first century and be there. You can't drive your car. I had the awesome opportunity in 2021. I got to sail in Turkey on the boat Sailing Axe. Uh, with Professor Linford Stutzman. Uh, he, had, he had this brilliant idea on one of his sabbaticals to buy a sailboat and sail the voyages of Paul. And so he, him and his wife sailed from Israel, Tel Aviv area, and sailed all the way to Rome on this little sailboat. And then he brought it to his school of like, hey, I want to teach this as a class. They said, great, we'll offer that. And he retired from that school and went to Jerusalem University College, where I went, offered the same thing as a class. And our president was like, of course we'll offer that. Like, that's who we are. Uh, So I was the guinea pig with JUC on that. So we got to sail parts of Turkey, and we sailed just a sliver, and it took us three days. 
And my eyes were really opened to first century travel on that trip. We got stuck in port for a day because of high winds. We couldn't, we couldn't get out. And it, it was a nightmare for us to even get in there, um, trying to drop anchor with boats all around you. And we had other ship captains who were terrified of us because are we going to bash into their million-dollar yacht that's sitting right next to us? And they're throwing buoys over, and like they were upset with us. That's modern day where we have, we had a motor on the back of our sailboat. Like, we had ease compared to them. For these people to boast, oh, I'll go here and there on this day and this day, wasn't smart. There's multiple times where you'd have to sit at port for the right winds to be able to get out. And that was one thing our professor really hammered in was there was so much uncertainty when it came to travel. And then we even spent a day hiking from one port to another. And that was another piece of travel back then was you hiked. And it was a brutal, man, we hiked like five or six miles, I want to say, that day. And it was not fun. I was dripping wet. We thought we were going to kill our professor who's like, 70 at the time, and I think it was a little bit further than he had thought. He thought, like, ah, it's only like a couple miles, and it ended up being like three times the length he thought. And we thought he was going to have like a heart attack partway through, and we're like, we're going to have to carry him to the next town. But we made it through, we made it just fine, but it shows you how difficult that would have been. And there were rocks and crevices and everywhere. It's Am I going to twist an ankle? And I had nice hiking boots on. First century people didn't have that opportunity. It was barefoot. It was sandals. Like, my eyes were really open then. And that's what James is getting at here, is this boastful, I'll do this and that, and I'm going to make money doing all of that. I'm here to make money. I'm here to make a profit. And James is really rebuking that. It's the pursuit of whatever they want, whatever they're going to do. And it's really showing that they controlled nothing. There was zero consult with the Lord. It was, I've got this. And James follows this right up with not only a rebuke there, but just the brevity of life, of just how quick life goes. And quite often, James, I found, isn't just like saying what he wants to say, what what God has given him to say. He's referencing back to Old Testament. He's referencing back to Jesus' teachings. So quite often today, you'll see me referencing back to different things that James is referencing. And Verse 14, he references back to Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Or there's referencing to Jesus' teaching, Matthew 6.34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So James reiterates the point here that 
Life goes by quick. It's a mist, it's a vapor, it's smoke, here and gone. Uh, We've often seen examples of early morning fog that as soon as the sun starts to come up, it's gone. Uh, We see this same reference in Hosea 13.3. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. I, I had kind of a flashback, and even yesterday I had the flashback. I worked at the hardware store in Ada, and Mark knows this very well. Um, we've got a shop in the back that quite often we work on equipment back there, and it's flooded or whatever, hasn't run in forever. They start it up, and the whole building sm- like fills with smoke. Like, you're coughing up exhaust. It's awful. We've got some fans there because of that, like, We've learned. So we've got fans. You flip the fans on, and in no time, it's blown all outside. It's gone. You can breathe in the room again. Uh, I had that flashback again yesterday as I was visiting there, getting some nuts and bolts. The joys of being a homeowner now. (laughs) Luckily, I had some friends that I could go chat with for a while. Uh, But that's what James is saying here is life is short like that. It's gone in an instant. So he took a little break there from the chastising to say, hey, life is short. You don't know what's coming. To then jump in back into, okay, life is short, so what do you do? And this is where James says, if the Lord wills. You ought to be saying, if the Lord wills. It's the submission to God. It's the submission to the Lord's will. Uh, common phrase again that James is getting at. We see it all throughout Paul of, if the Lord wills, I'll visit you again. Um, In a lot of his letters, it's always that. We saw it with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. It's submission to the Lord's will. Um, That's what James is getting at. It's not what I want, my plans. It's look to the Lord first. Be in communication with the Lord. What's the next steps there? And then verse 16, he goes right back into the chastise, the criticism of their arrogance. It's talking about exactly what these people were getting at. Sure, they were talking about going this or that way, but why? It's the arrogance. It's the boasting. And James says right here, it's evil. What they're doing is evil. It's this self-sufficiency. It's, I've got it all figured out. I know what I'm doing. And that's what he's getting at, this bragging, this boastful. And that's one of the big things we see all throughout the New Testament is this attack on pride. James says it right before this, that the Lord despises the proud. Uh, he looks on the humble. Uh, so there, there's a lot of this attack on pridefulness. Uh, I, I, thought, I thought a lot about kind of going back to my job of especially working with kids and how often it's, they think they got it all figured out, they can do anything. 
parents kind of sit back of, here, let me give you a hand with that. No, I, I got it. I got it. That's kind of what's going on here is the Lord's there and these people are, no, I got it figured out. I've got this. I can do it. And they try to take things into their own hands. And verse 17, as they close out this, this section, it's kind of giving the, the idea of if you know what's right and you're not doing it, that's sin as well right there. And it's this idea of obviously we know often of we know what not to do. We know, oh, if we do that, that's a sin. Yes, like, I know that. I've learned that. It says it in God's word. This is kind of the opposite of that. It's the sins of omission of, I know this is the right thing to do, but eh, not going to do that. The idea of they know it's a sin of pride, the, I'm going to do all of this on my own. They know it's wrong. It's like, eh, but I'm still going to do it. I, I thought of one of my professors in Israel. He, he gave us a good, good idea of this. And it, it goes back to kind of Jewish law. And it's the mitzvot and the halakha. Uh, these are extra laws on top of what's already in the scriptures. And he talked about how these were extra laws, kind of as extra fences to guard around something. Of like, okay, we want to protect this thing, so I'm going to put a fence around it. But maybe that fence isn't enough, so I'm going to put another fence there just to protect that fence, to protect it you know what, that, that might not be enough. I'm going to put another fence and just keep going just to protect it. And that's what happened a lot with these added Jewish rules, was I'm just going to keep adding things to prevent me from sinning. And James is calling out these people of like, if you know the right thing to do it and you're not doing it, that's sin right there. It's the sin of neglect. And I think it's this whole section, James is really calling out the people of, okay, your pride. Check yourself. Are you checking with the Lord? Are you checking with God's will? Or are you on your own? It's these boastful people that he's calling out. So he's, he's constantly asking us to check ourselves of, are we checking with the Lord? Is he part of our plans, or is it me? And obviously, we'll kind of unpack a little bit of this more of like what it looks for ourselves, but that's what he's challenging the early Christians with. The worldliness that's creeping in. And then, the second section here. Though, as my title has it in my ESV, Warning to the Rich, Again, I want you to think about, again, the, the people here. Who are they? What's going on here? And how, what's the response? What is James calling for response? So, obviously, as the title says, come now, you rich. So, obviously, he's calling out the rich here. Uh, 
these greedy people. What he says right at the beginning with this weep and howl, judgment's coming. We see a lot of examples of this weep and howl, this judgment. It's 11 times in Isaiah we see this idea of howl or wail. Two times in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, Zechariah, multiple times this weeping, this howling, all for judgment. And James picks up on this Old Testament, New Testament theme of the Lord caring for the poor. We see it all the time. Lots of connections of heart for the poor. And it's picked up right here. Verses 2 and 3 are, are connected. James is using those verses to, again, condemn the rich. It's, it's picking apart what they care about, the things they enjoy, the, their possessions, their garments, their gold, their silver, all of these things that mean something to them, they care about. And he's saying, it's all nothing. It's all going to be destroyed. It goes back to the brevity of life piece of here today, gone tomorrow, a mist. This stuff is going to be rotted in no time. Uh, We see that idea multiple times throughout scriptures. Uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, there's a lot of this idea of laying up treasures in heaven, not on earth, moth and rust destroy. We've all heard that verse many of times, and that's what James is picking up on. Douglas Moo, a commentator on, on James, talks about in this section, not only will wealth bring no lasting benefit to its possessors, it will even stand as a witness against them. And that's what he gets at at the end of this, is not only like are your possessions saying something about you now, like it says something about you in the future of that's what you were concerning yourselves with. I cared more about what I have as opposed to caring about others. And we saw that a lot, this hoarding idea with COVID, right? Even recently with the hurricane in Florida, you go into stores and it's wiped out of sometimes weird stuff. Like it'd be wiped out of like peanut butter. Like shelves completely gone of peanut butter. I'd, I'd pick a different food besides peanut butter. Uh, but we saw this idea of hoarding. Uh, I remember seeing news cycles of people who would buy out like the entire store of hand sanitizer, like one person would, and like stock it all in their garage. Like they'd have like the market on hand sanitizers and everything. And it was like, really? Like, people need this stuff, and you're going to keep it all just because. Uh, And that's kind of what the idea that James is getting at here is. These rich people are hoarding for themselves. Uh, And also the idea of giving. They give very little. They they give nothing at all. They care more about themselves. And I, I really thought of the idea of the widow's might during this, and the widow who gave very little peace. And, and I have a friend in 
Jerusalem, who uh, he specializes in antiquities. And one of the jewelry things he does, I, I can't put it on because it's an earring and that, I won't do that. But I've got a couple widow's mites here. And these are first century widow's mites. The size of my pinky nail is a widow's mite. So the smallest of small currency. And that's what she gave. All the rich were there and giving a little bit, giving some of theirs. And the widow who gave what she could. She gave as much as she could. And whenever I see these, I'm kind of reminded of that. Of giving very little, but it's what she could. And she gave sacrificially. That's what James is getting at here is the rich, the wealthy aren't doing that. And he talks about how these people have even he goes on in verses 4 and on to talk about how these rich are withholding from their workers. They're greedy. It's, I'm going to keep, I'll give you very little, or I won't even pay you for your work. You didn't do a good enough job. Whatever it might be, these, these greedy bosses. Uh, it's the idea that they're, they're crying out as well. Those affected by this are crying out. The ones, the laborers are crying out. We see that idea multiple times throughout Scripture. The biggest one going back to Genesis 4. Cain's blood crying out. And he closes this section by talking about how they're condemned for this. They condemn and murder the weak, the ones that they have power over, the ones that it even finishes, they do not resist you. They can't resist you. It's ones who don't have the resources to oppose the rich. And James is really getting at these people of check yourself when it comes to your money. So as we kind of look back at the three questions from the beginning, who were these people? Were they believers? Were they unbelievers? Yes. He doesn't specify here. He doesn't say, you unbelievers, you believers. He's writing to the church. So the idea here is, yes, he's criticizing both believers and unbelievers. He's warning believers of, watch out for these people. Watch out for yourself. Don't fall into these traps that the world is saying. He's telling you to watch out for your greed, watch out for your pride. So it is a message to us, not just outsiders of, oh, look at those rich people, like clearly they're unbelievers. It's checking ourselves, what's our attitude? And what, are, what is he getting at? Obviously the pride, the boastful the concern about money, the concern about what am I going to do with my life? Is it all me-centered or is it God-centered? And I think nowadays it is very hard to fall into the me-centered mentality. 
we live in a world where it says, we're all about me. Whatever's good for me, whatever helps me out. We live in a world where it's taking care of number one, and I'll take care of others after I'm good. After I've got everything I need, then I'll take care of others. And James is saying, check yourself. He's saying that we need to humble ourselves. We need to help those in need. We need to care about the poor. We need to use what God has given us. We're pretty well off compared to a majority of the world. What are we doing to help those in need? What are we doing to use what God has given us to draw others close to him? What are we doing to use our resources to help those? Pride is a big condemnation all throughout scripture. Check our pride. Are we humble people? Are we humbling ourselves before the Lord? Are we questioning what the Lord has for us? Are we in communication with the Lord? Are we saying, as the Lord wills? It's easy to say that, but are we really saying, God, what do you want from me? Where do you want me going? What do you want me doing with all of our plans? Are we doing that or are we putting it on ourselves? And finally, James says, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming quick. Here today, gone tomorrow. Judgment is coming. What side are you going to be on? Live a life that matters and live a life that shows it.